Welcome, everyone. This is Jeffrey Geisner uh, from the Obligations of Memory podcast for the Jewish uh, Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. I'm again with Peter Kupfer, the author of The Glassmaker's Son, which will be uh, soon to be published in November of 2022. Peter is a writer, editor, and photographer based in San Francisco. His articles on the arts and culture and other subjects have appeared in leading newspapers, magazines, websites, including the Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the New York Observer. And again, welcome, Peter, to the Obligations of Memory podcast. And we're going to be talking about your book, The Glassmaker's Son. But in this episode, we're really going to be focusing on some specific portraits that became available in your quest to learn about your grandfather and your father. Um, so why don't we start with um, a little bit of a background on how you um, came to, all right, let's stop. Okay. So Peter, maybe you can give us a little bit of the backstory about the portraits that you're going to share with us. Sure, Jeffrey. Um, so I went to my father's hometown uh, shortly after he passed away for the first time. It was in uh, 1979, <clears throat> and uh, it was in a small city in Bavaria. I um, spent about three or four days there. I, I actually was intending to spend only a day or two, but I was having such an amazing experience, you know, meeting people who had actually known my grandfather and even my father, and um learning things about my family um for instance uh one story I, I haven't even mentioned to you jeffrey i don't think was that my grandfather's house was one of the largest houses in town and actually was taken over by the nazis as their headquarters after they forced my grandfather to sell the house but um the, the thing of it is that um after I returned to the United States from my trip, a few weeks later, I got a letter in the mail. And it was a letter from a woman who was then about 90 years old, and she was blind. And she told me she had been a housekeeper in my grandfather's house, and that he had given her portraits of his parents, my great-grandparents, um, to safekeep after he was forced to sell his house and move to Frankfurt under the Nazis' uh, policy of forcing, you know, of prohibiting Jews to own property. But I, apparently my grandfather, un, you know, something I had never known about, my father had never told me about, and probably my father didn't even know this, because my father had already left Germany when this happened. You know, my father, my father left in 1937, and this was in 1939 that my grandfather was forced to sell his house. And he gave these portraits to uh, his housekeeper for safekeeping. So this woman wrote to me and she said, I am so sorry, I, I didn't know you were in, in the city. Uh, if I had known, I would have wanted to meet you because I've been holding these paintings for almost 40 years, waiting to return them to someone in your family. And I had no way of knowing how to reach anyone because there was no one from my family that was left in Germany. 
And the reason she didn't know I was in Biden because they had written several articles about my visit in the local newspaper. But this woman, uh, her name was Emma Fisher, was blind. And she didn't learn about my visit till after she had left. And in the letter, she said, if she had known that I was there, she would have met me and she would have welcomed me into her house and I could have stayed there because I was actually staying in a, in a youth hostel. I was a young man and didn't have a lot of money. And she said, you would have been welcome to stay with me. So that's the start of the whole story. So tell us a little bit about um, your trip to uh, Secure. And why don't we see, why don't you talk about your grand, great grandparents who we're seeing on screen? Well, okay, the woman on the left is, is uh, my great grandmother, Fanny uh, Kupfer. And on the right is Edward Kupfer. Now, Edward was a very uh, successful industrialist uh, who uh, ran a large uh, glass making uh, industry company. Um, they actually owned uh, several dozen uh, glass foundries and uh, associated businesses uh, in Bavaria and uh, Czechoslovakia, even in parts of Austria, who's a quite, uh, you know, quite well-established company, uh, quite prosperous. Was there, a, was there a name of the company that you know of? There were several names. I mean, uh, the name Kupfer, my family name, was in several of the companies, but there were, I mean, this was like a, a family business and there was a very large family. So he was not the only, you know, proprietor. There were several others he was in partnership with a, a family called Glasser. And in fact, uh, yeah, there's a lot of intermarriage uh, because this was quite common in those days that, you know, the Jewish families, uh, there was a lot of intermarriage and intermingling of business and family. So anyway, yeah, he owned uh, a, a large company uh, and it had the name Kupfer in it. Okay, and so tell us a little bit of how you came to uh, secure the uh, portraits and how your story got them back to the United States. Well, after I received the letter from uh, Mrs. Fisher, um, I, I wrote to her back right away. And, and obviously I was, I was delighted to hear from her and to learn about these paintings, which I had no idea even existed. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I, I was uh, not able to return to Weiden for almost four years. I, you know, was a young man trying to, you know, create my, you know, carve out a career in journalism. I was, uh, didn't have a lot of resources at that point. So I wasn't able to return uh, to Europe until four years later. And unfortunately, by that time, Mrs. Fisher had passed away. Um, and I should also mention that during my first visit to Weiden, which is named the city, I met a journalist named uh, Inga Rogner, who has become a lifelong friend. And she was very uh, instrumental in, first of all, um, connecting me with Mrs. Fisher because Mrs. Fisher got all my contact information from her. 
and also in helping me to finally, uh, you know, reclaim the paintings. Um, but Inga told me that um, Mrs. Fisher, when I got back to Biden the second time, she told me that Mrs. Fisher unfortunately had passed away and that the paintings had been inherited by a niece of hers because she had no children of her own. So Inga and I went over to meet the niece who now uh, had possession of my great grandparents' portraits. Uh, and this woman, uh, I won't mention her name, but she was quite uh, poor. Um, Inga told me she was one of the poorest women in town. She had a, a very sick husband. She had, a, she had a lot of problems and she was not very welcoming. Uh, but she had told Inga before I got there that she would give me the paintings back, that she would. But when we went to meet with her, apparently she had had a change of mind. And she told me she would not give them back uh, unless I paid her 30,000 uh, Deutschmarks, which um, I think was equivalent at that point to about $10,000. Um, but as I say in my book, even if I had that money, which, which I actually didn't uh, have, uh, I wouldn't have paid her a uh, fending, you know, for uh, these portraits because these were my great-grandparents' paintings um, that had been only given to her aunt because of the Holocaust, because of the Nazi uh, persecution. And I didn't, feel, you know, so I felt that, you know, they were really belonged to me and that, you know, she shouldn't be, demanding any payment for them. So to make a long story short, um, we left um, and we actually went to go see the mayor of the city to ask for him to intervene. And in fact, he did try to intervene with this woman. He talked to her, the leader of the uh, Catholic diocese um, actually met with her um, as well, trying to convince her to that you know she shouldn't really, uh, you know she should really surrender the paintings to their rightful owners, which were my family. Um, but to make a long story short, this was back around 1983, and I left again empty-handed. And um, do you want me to continue with Absolutely. what happened? Oh yeah, no time. Go ahead. Okay. I think it's a fascinating story. Oh, by the way, let me. Let me just, it brings yeah. in other. Um, it brings in other things like reparations, and you know, and you, you know, I'm sure you realize that many of our audience members could have and maybe are in the same situation that you are, having having uh, historical paintings taken from them uh, during the Holocaust and searching. And I know for a fact I, I did a program with Miriam Morris Friedman. Her father was the famous David Freeman, who was a Holocaust artist, and he uh, lost many of his paintings were are taken were taken by the Nazis, and she's on a quest to to find them around the world and bring them back to her proper yeah. So go ahead, you. Like, well, that another, yeah, that brings up another point, Jeffrey, and that is that you know these paintings. Um, they were portraits and you know back in those days this was not that unusual for uh you know affluent and maybe even just you know normal middle class people to have 
portraits painted because you know this was in the day when photograph photography didn't exist or was in its infancy. So it wasn't you know nowadays. Of course, we have we have photographs to remember our our history and our ancestors. But back then, it was quite common. Um, which and the thing is, these paintings were not valuable in terms of being great works of art. This isn't a story about you know some you know valuable artwork. In fact, we had the paintings appraised. Inga had the paintings appraised, um, and by an art dealer in Munich who said that you know there were nice paintings, but nothing special, nothing of any great merit. What the value was, of course, was for me was that they were my great grandparents, and this was part of my family history. So it wasn't a matter of being of great monetary value, but it was obviously very valuable for my family and for so me. Before you, before you get to the pictures, what is the, the picture on the left that is a factory? That's one of the factories my grandfather owned in, and that was in his hometown in Biden. And this was around the turn of the 20th century, I think, when, when this, uh, photograph was taken. Okay. Yeah, so that's the Biden uh, glass fabric, I think. They Have you it. visited in 75? Was it still uh, upright? Uh, well, that's a whole nother story. But the day that I arrived, I think I, I might have mentioned this before, um, out of, you know, total coincidence, they had an article in the newspaper saying that the factory was going out of business was closing down that very day. And I ended up wandering over to the factory that afternoon and being invited to attend the final meeting of the, of the factory, uh, you know, the executives and some of the, the workers. And it was quite a moving experience, but yeah, that is the factory. Anything that's uh, came out of that board meeting that's a story for you to tell? Oh my gosh, it, yeah, a lot came out of that meeting. I mean, first of all, I felt like I was in some kind of a, a movie where I'd walked into this room with all these kind of older, um, you know, men. And I, I was sort of like thinking, and they were drinking beer and smoking. And I was kind of like this young, impressionable kid from the States thinking, oh my God, I've walked into like a nest of, of Nazis or something. <laughs> it was like a weird feeling. But um, they were actually very welcoming to me. And um, it, must, it, was a, it was a surreal experience. I mean, here I was, I didn't even know that this factory existed before I got there. And the day after I arrived, I'm sitting in, in the room with the board of directors uh, of the factory my grandfather once owned. And not only that, but as I found out later, some of the men in that room knew my grandfather and, and remembered him and had worked with him. So it was, a, it was really a surreal experience. Um, so tell us a little bit about the picture that, and the woman holding the picture. Okay, well, so that's uh, Mrs. Fisher, and those are the two portraits of uh, Fanny and Edward that she had and apparently she had tucked them away, uh, wrapped them in uh, cotton wool and rags and stored them away. Um, but actually, I never 
saw the paintings because when I got there after she had passed away, her niece wouldn't even let me look at the paintings. I'm not sure why, but she said she had them stashed away somewhere and she didn't want me to see them. So I never actually got to see them until many years later. So how did it, how did it unfold that eventually you took possession of the, of the painting? Okay, so as I said, I left after my second visit in 1983, empty-handed. And then over the years, I, Inga and I, the Inga, the journalist I, in, in the local newspaper, and I would exchange emails and letters. And basically, um, after a while, I sort of just gave up. I had actually contacted the American consulate in Munich as well to see if they might be able to help. And, and they said to me that, um, you know, you would probably have to go through a complicated legal process. It might take years, it might take quite a bit of money to recover the paintings. And so I basically, for many years, I abandoned the whole, um, you know, enterprise. And then uh, I believe it was in 19... Well, it was many years later, maybe 15 or 20 years later, I happened to be in Munich with my cousin, Eric, who grew up in, in Munich and was living in the States. And he was, he was quite elderly and he wanted to go back to his hometown, um, you know, probably for the last time. And it turned out it was the last time. But anyway, we were in Munich. Um, I think this was around 2004 or five. So obviously like 20 years after uh, that visit to the, to the aunt or to the niece. And uh, I decided to call Inga in Biden and just to say hello. And, and so I called her and while we were talking, you know, she said, you know, we really should find out what's going on with those portraits, whatever happened to them. So after um, I hung up, Inga started making inquiries. Turns out that, um, the niece had died, and now the portraits had been inherited by her son, who was uh, worked in the local bank. So um, I wrote to his son. Uh, actually, my cousin in England wrote to him because he he could write in, in German. And the response we got then was that um, he was willing to give them up only you know, only to sell them. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know, just like his mother, he wanted to sell them. And again, we were stalled. Um, but then we got a letter uh, from his wife a few weeks later with, with some shocking news. And that was that her husband had been killed in an accident, yeah. in a, a motorcycle accident a motor scooter accident, and she was willing to give up the paintings. So that was what happened. Um, and so a year after this, we went, my, myself and my cousin in Paris and my other cousin in England, the three of us met in Biden, and we went to see the wife or the widow of the son, of the niece, of the housekeeper. <laughs> yeah, so it's a very involved story that took, so basically it took about 25 years from the time I learned of the existence of these paintings 
until the time we actually reclaimed them. So how did you get them from um, Biden to uh, where you are in LA? So, or wherever you were at the time? Well, I was in San Francisco living there as I am now. But what we decided, because there were, you know, many descendants of Edward and Fanny who could, you know, take possession of the paintings. I frankly decided I didn't really want to keep them in my house. I lived in a small apartment in San Francisco and um, my cousin in England, we decided that, well, actually we, we were thinking about giving them to a museum. We were thinking about maybe donating them to uh, either a local museum or maybe a Jewish historical society somewhere. But then we decided that after, you know, them, the portraits being separated from us for so many years that they should stay in the family. And so we decided um, for the time being that we'd go to my cousin in England. And that's it's a seashell then? He has them hanging in his home in uh, south of London. And, uh, you know, at some point they might go to another relative's house, but right now uh, Edward and Fanny are very happily uh, ensconced in. Um, and in what do you, and what does what does your relative in England say of the responses of friends who come to visit him them, and see the portraits? I you know I really couldn't say for sure, Jeffrey, but I'm I'm sure it's a subject of discussion. You know, he's he's very happy to have them. Uh, I know my relatives in France are also interest, have expressed interest in hosting Edward and Fanny. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to make it to the States, but uh, we'll see. Okay. And so I guess we'll conclude here. Tell us a little bit of what your plans are for the letters that you have from your father and, and the process of how to go about it. I'm sure our, our, again, our audience has similar artifacts or- um, Yeah, well, that's a good, to... good question. Um, you know, I've been in touch with the US uh, Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington. I actually went there uh, to do some research and, and I met some people and subsequently uh, I've been in touch with them and they are very interested in in having the, the letters um, and I'm, more than happy to give them to them, which I will. I'm just uh, holding off a bit till uh, the book is published in November, because um, in case we might, we might need to reproduce some of the documents, but um, I then am gonna send them to the US Holocaust Museum in uh, Washington where, you know, so they're very interested in any kind of original documents like that. Um, so if any of your, viewers and listeners are in possession of 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 similar you know materials um i would i would suggest that they contact the u.s holocaust museum or if not that there's also yad vashem in uh israel that or the wiener library in, in london and wherever and there are also smaller holocaust museums around the country i know there's one in illinois i believe and in other cities, so in LA, perhaps. And so, did you have any feeling of wanting to keep those letters um, for your family, or you didn't? You didn't have that. I mean, I have uh, sixteen yeah. letters 
we have all we have copied them and had them translated through the copies but my sister has possession of those letters and and she feels they're dearly part of uh something that she's not ready to give up no i understand yeah. yeah i understand that feeling and i i think that's totally up to each family and totally appropriate for me I'm, I mean, frankly, I don't have children. Um, I'm a single gay man, um, so I didn't. I mean, I do have some relatives that are interested in it, but I, I think the historical importance of them is it's better served by having them in a, you know, in a Holocaust memorial museum. Um, you know, to me that that will make them more durable and permanent. Do they have a sense of what they plan to do with those letters? Are they to become part of the digitized archive or are they going to be on display or have you explored that? I think I haven't actually explored that. I, I'm assuming it's just going to be part of the archive. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if there'd be any displays. I mean, it's possible, you know, if they have certain ex exhibits that they might use them, but uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's a repository of, of, of probably millions of pages of documents or hundreds of thousands of pages of documents about the Holocaust. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's anything more than for historical research and so forth. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Peter, for um, doing four episodes and to present your family story and even some not so on point stories for the glassmaker's son the book that you're having published in november and the publisher is again uh amsterdam publishers in the netherlands but it'll be available on amazon as well very good and thank you uh, peter for spending so much time with us and our audience i'm sure will enjoy it i and i will make if it's if it's okay with you your email address available and anybody maybe want to uh, contact you and Maybe you'll find some new relatives and new family through this process. Thank you, so, Jeff. Thank you very much. Take care now. Bye now. And bye to our audience. This has been the Obligation of, uh, Obligation of Memory uh, podcast for the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group on Facebook and YouTube. Bye now. <laughs>